0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon. This is Eben Fowler filling in for Tony Perkins today. I'm with Bot Radio Network. Glad to be guest hosting today. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up on this Friday edition of Washington Watch uh, First of all, we're going to be hearing from U.S. Representative Chip Roy, at least in a sound clip here in just a minute, from Texas, uh, where he's calling out his colleagues in Congress after they passed the National Defense Authorization Act and what made it into the military spending bill and what didn't. We'll find out about that. We'll be talking with another Texas congressman, Representative Michael Cloud, and we'll also talk with him about the worsening situation at our southern border. And just earlier today, House Democrats passed the pro-abortion Women's Health Protection Act, uh, terribly misnamed, of course, which they claim will codify Roe versus Wade, but is actually far worse.
1: During rules committee, I asked a simple question. Does anything in this bill actually have any reasonable health benefit for women? And the answer is no.
0: Well, as I said, that's uh, U.S. Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach speaking out against the legislation ahead of uh, today's vote. It was voted on earlier today. So if a wrongly named bill has nothing to do with women's health, what does it have to do with? Uh, We'll discuss this with Connor Selimsberger, FRC's Director of Federal Affairs, uh, Life and Human Dignity. And speaking of women's issues, the left has brought together more than 500 current and former female athletes from the collegiate level to the Olympic level to stand up against what they claim to be a serious threat to the hard-fought progress made in women's sports. Well, what is that threat? Well, it's motherhood, apparently. FRC's Mary Zock is here with more on that in our third segment. And we continue... To see parents and concerned citizens pushing back and pushing back quite hard, actually, against efforts to force all the crazy stuff that's going on transgenderism, wokeism, and radical ideology in schools. What's going on, and what can you do? We're going to give you some ideas for getting involved. We'll be talking with Meg Kilgannon. She's FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies we we'll are be talking with her about some updates on that. Well, a few reminders. If you miss any part of today's program or any program for that matter, you can find it at TonyPerkins.com. You'll also find details about this show, including uh, related resources if you want to learn more. And you can also watch past shows. Visit, again, TonyPerkins.com. And with social media, you never know who's going to be censored or deplatformed. So to stay in touch with us, text the word "stand." S-T-A-N-D, to 67742. That way we can stay in contact with you and send you updates and alerts on news, events, and resources. And here's the disclaimer. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to cancel. Help for help. Visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions and our privacy policy. We'll be talking about some other reminders a little bit later. But let's get started here. So I want to talk about, in this first segment, the border catastrophe and the House of Representatives approving the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. I want to start out first with a short clip from Congressman Chip Roy of Texas.
2: We pass legislation as part of an $800 billion defense authorization bill that had some 400 amendments. We didn't even debate on the floor of this House. We didn't even debate the drafting of women.
0: Well, uh, the, the annual military spending bill, it's it provides authorization of appropriations uh, for the Department of Defense and defense related activities at other federal agencies included in that seven hundred seventy eight billion dollar bill for fiscal year 2022 are a number of provisions that have drawn a concern, including the forcing of women, daughters, wives sisters, et cetera, et cetera, uh, into the draft, or to forcing them to register for the draft, uh, as well as the codification of critical race theory training for America's troops and the hiring of gender advisors, to name a few. What else made it into the bill? What didn't make it in? Well, joining me now to talk about this and more is Congressman Michael Cloud. He represents the 27th congressional, congressional district in Texas. Congressman Cloud, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you.
3: Well, thank you. Great to be with you again.
0: Okay, so you voted against the NDAA. Now, yes. this is normally uh, this is where the military gets its funding, as I understand, as well mm-hmm. as some other things. Uh, and normally, I guess you would vote for something like that, but what uh, caused sure. you to vote against it?
3: Yeah, this is one of those things... You, uh, it really pains you to have to vote against because we all want our troops supported. We want them to have the best equipment they need in the field. We want them to have, be able to present an overwhelming force to have the best technology. When we send them in, uh, to battle, they should, should be able to go in, declare victory, overwhelming to victory, and then, and, and us bring them home. Um, but what we can't do is allow the defense authorization bill, which is a critical constitution priority, turn into a social engineering structure for the United States of America and, and sadly you mentioned the drafting our daughters. That's something that uh, got very little debate um, even among the conference. Uh, it, of course individual members it did but it was it's really sad that that should have gotten a whole lot more attention that we're going to put drafting our daughters into the Defense Authorization Act. That should have been its own standalone bill frankly. It should have been uh, debated at least as an amendment. Uh, we couldn't even get an, an amendment debate. A number of um, amendments were uh, presented in Rules Committee to take that out, uh, and we couldn't even uh, get a debate on the floor about it. And so it, it's really sad. But to continue the CRT, we've seen the devastating effects, you know, Afghanistan being just uh, went with a misguided, misfocused Pentagon that's more focused on CRT, uh, enforcing that throughout our military, even our uh, military contractors. Um, and then, you know, there was very little, if anything, an accountability for Afghanistan. So, in one week, we're calling for the resignation of the Secretary of Defense and the Joint Chiefs, and the next week, we're saying, "Hey, here's six hundred, seven hundred, fifty, eight hundred million dollars uh, to continue the work that you've been doing." Um, and so, it, this needed uh, it needed more debate. We needed to look at it again. Obviously, you're spending that much money. There are some good things in a bill. You know, we want more ships. Uh, we need more ships. Uh, we need more helicopters, those kind of things. Legitimate, uh, legitimately should be in the NDA, but uh, we cannot turn, let this turn into a social engineering of, of the United States.
0: Well, we need more helicopters because we left a bunch of them behind in <laughs> Afghanistan, along with thousands of other vehicles, hundreds of thousands of rifles, and the list goes yes. on and on. So, you know, right. taxpayer dollars, 80-some billion, I guess. And and I wanted to, to ask you, you'd mentioned uh, a discussion about the potential asking for the resignation of, of Milley and Austin Milley, the uh, chairman of the joint, so-called chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of Defense, who've done a, terrible job, I think, leading the military in this Afghanistan withdrawal. And apparently didn't either they didn't know what they were doing or they didn't have the courage to stand up against the president and what uh, he and his mm-hmm. uh, minions and advisors uh, were telling him to do. Uh, where is that right now? And then we'll get back to the, the discussion about women in the draft and so forth.
3: Well, there's certainly an understanding that they need, need to resign. Uh, that's going to be up on them to do it. This administration doesn't seem interested in holding anyone accountable, whether it's somebody crossing the border or whether it's somebody, uh, who's responsible for the lives of 13 service members who are lost, not to mention the many women and children, the Christian missionaries who are still stuck there, the American citizens who are still stuck there. I, along with many other offices, were working and have been working to get people out of Afghanistan who should be out. Uh, and I've heard a number of times from people on boots on the ground that the biggest obstacle has been our State Department, you know. And so this administration refuses to hold people accountable. This was a, a botched withdrawal at, at best. And certainly, you know, so in the NDAA, we we called for a report Uh to, to be, you know, and this is t- typical Washington, let's pretend we're doing something when we're not doing anything. We call for a report that very likely will not be done, or if it is, won't be read, uh, and, and whether it will be accurate as to the telling of what happened or not, it would be in question as well. And then we allocated $250 million for getting people out, which sounds great, um, except that what's what's keeping us from getting people out isn't the funds. There's been a, a tremendous private uh, donations that have come and stepped out, and people willing to get out, but the State Department is prohibiting uh, American citizens from leaving Afghanistan, and and so it's not the funds are even that are that are at issue. Uh, American citizens could get out now uh, if the State Department would let them, and uh, so you know we need better accounting for for bad actions.
0: Well, that assumes that the Americans and others who are trying to get out. And I'll paraphrase Jen Psaki, the paid liar of the Biden administration. (laughs) Those who want to get out, I can't imagine anybody who doesn't want to get out. That assumes that they're going to survive long enough to get out. And what's, uh, you know, what seems really unfortunate is that, you know, when this story first broke, when the withdrawal first began, the, the. expedited, unplanned disaster began, it was in the news. We heard, you know, for about mm-hmm. two weeks, I kind of my sense is that the administration is hoping that the next news cycle will wash this away and that we'll forget. And that what really concerns me, Congressman, is if there are Americans in indeed deed, I believe there are from what I've heard, uh, mm-hmm. they're going to be forgotten. There are not going to be people advocating for them the way we were hearing about a couple of weeks ago. What, what do you think about that?
3: Yeah, we, we definitely have an administration that's more concerned about the news cycle and good press than they are about the lives, uh, whether it be at the southern border or our U.S. citizens in Afghanistan. And that's what's so tragic. You know, you talking to people who've been involved in the withdrawal, you'd think eventually you'd make a right decision, but it, it's, it's just complete either complete uh, incompetence or negligence or some nefarious plan at work uh that's that's leading to all this uh, that's happening in afghanistan and and so we can't just continue to let that slide and we certainly shouldn't be you know one week calling for resignations in the next week without any sort of pushback or discussion about accountability uh just sign off on a on a blank check that that uh includes things like drafting our daughters
0: yeah it it seems kind of crazy uh, here we 'll give you some more money to go do the bad things that you that 've already done. yeah well, uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, Congressman. Uh, I want to switch to the border here, speaking of the border, there were a number of poignant exchanges recently between fox News 's Peter Ducey, who seems to be the only real reporter in the White House pool and uh, uh, our uh, our friend Jen Saki. I want to play one of those exchanges for you to get your response right before this exchange. Ducey noted that he and his team. We're not able to find any record of Biden visiting the border as president, vice president, senator, or anything else. Uh, so go ahead and roll the uh, the Ducey clip, if you would.
4: This is a president who makes a point when there are disasters in this country, like a wildfire or a hurricane, to go and see for himself firsthand what the needs are of the local communities. So why doesn't he go down to Del Rio, Texas, and see what's going on? Well,
1: first of all, Peter, I think the situation at the border is the result of a broken system. And the president certainly relies on his experience. All of his experiences and his time in office, whether vice president or Senate, uh, inform his approach to issues. Uh,
0: Congressman, just a, about uh, 15 seconds, any comments on the border? We, we could spend an hour talking about it.
3: Oh, we could. And it's when when we're just getting to, to talk about how bad it is, people think we're uh, exaggerating. Literally, we're just scratching the surface. You have to go. You have to see it. You got to let your heart be broken for the life lives that are being taken advantage by the cartels. It's devastating, and it's tragic that this administration has chosen to aid aid and evade cartels in this amazing humanitarian crisis.
0: Well, we appreciate the the work that you're doing and just want to encourage you to continue pushing back and making uh, this holding this administration accountable for all of these disasters and as much as possible as much as you can congressman cloud thanks so much we appreciate it very much thanks for being on Washington Good. thanks for being on washington watch today yeah thank you god bless you coming up house democrats have passed the so-called women's health protection act what does this mean what can be done i'll be joined next by frc's connor semel uh, don't go away
5: With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text Stan to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and
4: FRC Action's inaugural Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray, Vote, Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Register online at prayboatstand.org/summit, or by calling 877-372-2808.
6: More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why, Scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. This is Eben Fowler sitting in for Tony Perkins today. Glad to have you along. Just a a reminder here, a little bit of uh, housekeeping, if you will. Uh, I want to encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. You can listen to Washington Watch on the app, read the latest from the FRC team. Most importantly, you can get alerts both at the federal and state levels. So you can take action on important issues. Visit FRC.org. Slash app, or type in "stand firm" wherever you download apps uh, on your particular device. Well, uh, welcome back again. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. This Friday afternoon, earlier today, House Democrats passed the pro-abortion and listen to the name of this thing, Women's Health Protection Act, which they claim will codify Roe v.ersus Wade. But as Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach stressed ahead of today's vote. The legislation is actually far worse than the infamous 1973 Supreme Court decision. Let's roll that cut.
1: This bill would wipe out countless state laws that protect women and babies, like clinic regulation and parental notice, including a law I shepherded through the Minnesota State Legislature on Women's Right to Know. This law simply requires a physician to provide a woman seeking an abortion information about medical risks. I can't imagine in a world where a physician performs a non-emergent medical procedure on any person without explaining their options and risks beforehand. But that's apparently the world my Democrat colleagues want to live in.
0: Well, considering how states have enacted more than 500 life-protecting policies in the last decade, you can imagine how devastating this radical legislation would be if passed. Joining me now to give us a clearer picture on this is Connor Semelsberger. He's FRC's Director of Federal Affairs when it comes to life and human dignity. Connor, thanks for coming on the program today. Good to have you.
2: Yeah, great to be on today.
0: Well, uh tell us a little bit about this bill. Uh, apparently, the left, the pro-aborts, uh, all those folks are kind of running scared because they are seeing the handwriting on the wall, as it seems. Uh, you know, you've got the Texas bill. You've got the Mississippi bill. Some really good stuff coming through that might... Uh, help to save the lives of innocent unborn human beings so what is it that the left and the democrats and but i repeat myself are are trying to do through this bill and where do you think it's going to go
2: yeah, I think you, you said it exactly. They are running scared. They are seeing uh, the the good pro-life legislation that has passed through our country for the last few decades. And what we see as Roe v. Wade is just hanging on by a thread. They are so reliant on a Supreme Court decision from nine justices 45 plus years ago. That's what they're relying on for their, quote unquote, right to abortion. And so they're attempting here to enshrine that into federal law. Now, that might not seem too bad. Okay, Well, at least it gives a woman right to choose when she wants. But this goes way beyond way beyond what Roe said Um, and I think most people, it's hard to understand what Roe actually said and it's not just simply, okay, an abortion for certain circumstances, abortion only for the first few weeks uh, while the baby's developing. No, Roe allowed abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Uh, However, they did allow states to restrict abortions past the point of viability, which is set at around 24 weeks gestation, but yes this goes way beyond just that uh, striking down numerous laws across the states as Representative Fishbaugh outline and many more. So this is very tragic day for our U.S. Congress, for uh, every single Democrat in the U.S. House, except for one, except for one, Henry Quaylor out of Texas, every single one voted to enshrine abortion on demand until birth
0: throughout our nation. You know, it's amazing. uh, Again, with these really good developments coming out of Texas and Mississippi and other places uh, with respect to the abortion issue. Uh, you know, it's interesting that the Satanists have come out to support those who are in favor of abortion. Now, I would think that people would figure out that if, if Satanists are on your side, it's probably not a side you want to be on. And they they it's sort of flushing the cockroaches out of the dark. Uh, it's showing just how radical... These people are with respect to abortion. You know whether it's Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden or, or any of the rest of them. Uh, but one of the real concerns about this bill is what it would do to the restrictions that Representative Fishbach talked about—the 500 some uh, restrictions on abortion. That you know they're called restrictions, but that really they're protections for unborn human life. How would this bill uh, affect the those? pieces of legislation that have been developed and worked on over the years that protect human life.
2: Yeah, directly. Uh, you know, the, the number is uh, outstanding. Since 2010, uh, this last decade, we've passed more pro-life legislation in all the decades prior. Um, and this law threatens all of those things. A lot of the members of Congress uh, come from state legislatures. So I'm sure some of these uh, even Democratic Congress uh, members may have been in their state chambers as these laws were being debated and even have voted for some along the way. But when you get into to D.C. here, they have to be supportive of this most radical position. It's couched as a moderate position, codifying Roe. But like you said, it would take out simple things like uh, allowing a woman to see an ultrasound before she chooses to to have that abortion or not, Uh, all the way up to things like Ohio or Indiana have passed, which prohibit abortions uh, if there's a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome or another fetal abnormality in the womb um, to to prohibit uh, a discrimination against people who are disabled. Uh, And so it it really is sweeping. It is the most radical bill. I can't underscore that enough. It's going to be, couched as protecting women's health. But watching the debate today, it really played out, like you said, what the truth of abortion is. They have to lace it in language like women's health, reproductive care, abortion care. They aren't able and willing to admit what it really is. And it was great to see some Congress members call that out, that abortion is the taking of an innocent human life. And that's exactly what our uh, congressional majority and our president wants to enforce upon the rest of the nation
0: well the uh, the pro abortion lobby hides behind euphemisms as you as you said they, they can 't actually tell anybody what it is, and in fact, I, I think they try to hide the truth from themselves because if they got too far down the road of understanding what it actually is, then they would have to admit their depravity that 's really what it comes down to. So uh, just very quickly, uh, last question here. What should our listeners do in response to this? What can they do? Got about 30 seconds.
2: Yeah, be encouraged. You see that this is happening because of so many pro-life wins in the country.
0: So keep praying, keep standing, and get ready to continue the fight for unborn lives. Hey, Connor, thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate the work you do at FRC. It's great having you on. Great well, coming on. up, what's the biggest threat to female athletes today? Motherhood, according to those on the left. We'll talk about this after the break with FRC's Mary Zock. Don't go away.
8: But struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start. Or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives. So much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread. Because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily. And we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org slash Bible.
0: Welcome back to the Friday edition of Washington Watch. Evan Fowler here with Bot Radio Network sitting in today for Tony Perkins. Glad to have you along and listening and learning with us and viewing as well. Well, earlier this week, more than 500 current and former female athletes from the collegiate level up to the Olympic level filed an amicus brief in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, and they did so in opposition to Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, which the Supreme Court will consider on December 1st. In their amicus brief, the athletes argue that an unborn child's right to life listen to this, it's crazy, is a serious threat to the hard-fought progress made in women's sports. So apparently pregnancy poses a greater threat to women's sports than, say, men who claim to be women. Is that right? Well, joining us now for that discussion is Mary Zock, Director of the Center for Human Dignity at Family Research Council. In addition to being a new mom, Mary's also a graduate of the University of Notre Dame, where she played basketball for the Fighting Irish and lettered on the 2010-2011 national championship runner-up team. Mary, glad to have you on the program today and good to see you.
9: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Well, tell us a little bit. Give us some background on this amicus brief, if you would.
9: So 500 female athletes signed on to this, and really they're, they're arguing, as you said, that the life of an unborn child in the womb is a serious threat to women's sports. Um, and, and this is just not true. They make the argument that, that Title IX passed and that its companion was Roe v. Wade. But I think that those two, those two rule, the, the ruling of Roe v. Wade is actually in opposition to Title IX. Whereas Title IX said, you know, the women cannot be discriminated against because of their sex, um, which, you know, a, a huge component of being a, a woman is that women are capable of of motherhood, of being mothers, um, and then the passage of Roe or the the ruling of Roe just one year later, sort of gave the world an out. Instead of adapting to to celebrate the the real contributions of women, the world was now able to pressure a woman into choosing motherhood or her career, her ability to participate in sports, her her livelihood, and and this is wrong. Babies should never be pitted as enemies of their mother, because they're not. They're not natural enemies. They're, they're, they go together. They go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's really sad. Uh, the writers of the amicus brief reference Olympic track athlete Sonia Richards-Ross, who, after revealing she'd had an abortion prior to competing in the, 20, uh, the 2008 Olympics, wrote in her memoir, most of the women I knew in my sport have had at least one abortion. Let me just stop there a second. That's really sad. That is so unfortunate. But they left something out that, uh, uh, that she said. They forgot to add that she also said, in that moment, it seemed like I had no choice at all and went on to write, I made a decision that broke me. So we've got a little sound clip here uh, of her recalling how broken she felt. Let's roll that.
5: Nothing I did could remove the shame and guilt I carried in my heart. I kept moving forward. It's what I had trained myself to do for over two decades, but I could not outrun my broken spirit.
0: That speaks to what happens to so many women, and it also speaks to let's not leave the dads out either because abortion harms everybody involved. It has ripples that go all over the place. Comment on that if you would.
9: It does, and female athletes should never be put in a position where the NCAA or Nike, their, their sponsor, or the Olympics are, are pressuring them to weigh the life of their child against a gold medal. That's not fair, and, and it's so sad that she doesn't know any other women in her sport who haven 't had an abortion, that tells us that something is wrong with the culture, not that abortion is an essential part of of the sport, but that the sport needs to change so that abortion is not any part of it.
0: you know Mary that is you just hit it you hit the nail on the head, uh, everything is turned upside down, you know and I read uh, in preparation for our conversation today, I read a couple of articles that uh one of them was on espn it was and various athletes uh, i think it was at clemson were talking about how uh they you know they were on a scholarship a sports scholarship of some kind and then they ended up getting pregnant and then they said I-, I don't know how this happened well you know i could in about 15 seconds i can tell these these folks how it happens that's that's the problem we've got a morality problem here we've got people who are having who are getting pregnant out out of wedlock uh and which they think results in the necessity for abortion, which, of course, is not true at all. But uh, it, it's silly. And then let's talk about this other thing that I mentioned in, in my intro, Mary. Um, that has to do with with men who are dressing up as women, who think they're women for some odd reason, and wanting to get into women's sports. Uh, talk about how that's harming women's sports.
9: Right. I mean, it's shocking that the authors of this brief came out against unborn children as the threat to women's sports you know there are actual threats that women's sports are facing right now and one of them is men participating in women's sports that is something that these women should be speaking out against that's that's causes danger to women in who are playing sports both physically mentally emotionally and it it makes it so that women cannot compete on a fair playing field unborn children don't pose a threat at all
0: that's right. And, you know, if it happens that a female athlete uh, who's on a scholarship gets pregnant uh, because she made her uh, an incorrect decision about her life, then the responsible thing is for her to say, if I have to give up my scholarship, I'll give up my scholarship. I will have this child and we'll move on and we'll do the right thing. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate uh, your coming on today.
9: Thanks so much for having
0: me. Well, coming up next, not all school boards in Virginia are adopting the state education department's new policy on transgenderism. Thank goodness. How has the response been so far? We'll get an update from FRC's Meg Kilgannon after the break. So stay right here. You're listening to Washington Watch.
5: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture, look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Is real biblical masculinity
4: lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand
5: Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text Stan to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
0: Welcome back to the final segment of this Friday, Washington watch Evan Fowler with uh, bot radio network sitting in today for Tony Perkins. Uh, he gets the day off. That's a good thing for him. A couple of things. If you miss any part of today's program or any other program, uh, you can find it at TonyPerkins.com and I encourage you to go there. Lots of resources available at that site, TonyPerkins.com. And then finally I want to tell you about, uh, something special coming up. It's called the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, and it's going to be an event at the Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, October 6th through October 8th. Go to prayvotestand.org, that's prayvotestand.org, to sign up for this exciting and important event. Well, final segment here, Uh, school boards across Virginia have been considering the state education department's new nutty policy, on transgenderism. That wasn't in the script. That's just my uh, editorial input there. As the new school year gets underway, and board members in a number of school divisions have been rejecting the policy changes. So good. Last week, the Chesapeake School District decided not to adopt the transgender policy mandated by the state, choosing instead to revise its current non-discrimination policy and it was reported wednesday that the Accomack county school board declined to accept the policy which would force teachers to refer to students by their preferred pronouns and allow biological males to use female restrooms and compete against girls in sports and vice versa with us now to talk about some of the latest developments in virginia And the movement of parents standing up against radical ideology in the classrooms is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies at the Family Research Council. Meg, glad to have you on this Friday.
10: It's great to be here, Evan.
0: Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of us have seen the video of rather interesting school board meetings across the country that's been going on in the last, well, few months, I guess, uh, sometimes it gets kind of wild, but, you know, it's good because parents are, um, you know, parents have assumed, I think, uh, that their school boards are doing the best things for their children, that they're there serving and making sure they get a good education. But then uh, I think maybe COVID has uh, caused uh, folks to find out more about what's actually going on behind the the screen there. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, about what, what kind of a trend you're seeing, and then we can talk about what's happening in Virginia specifically.
10: Well, the, the trend, you're exactly right. The trend nationwide uh, during the pandemic was that parents were confronted with the actual material that their children are learning. I think most parents assume that kids are getting a slightly better version of the education that they perhaps got when they were in school. And um, sadly, that tends to not be the case. Um, The school system, the educational system in the United States is a lot like Silicon Valley in that it is influenced by one kind of thinking, progressive thinking. And I think most people in the United States understand that, you know, Silicon Valley tech moguls don't necessarily share main street values when it comes to things like um, sex and uh, gender. And um, they have some kind of nutty ideas about race, but um, these they, they do think that the school boards and the school systems that in the communities where they live, they think that they, that those values should be the same. And by and large, they're not. The schools, are, uh, the university system is very progressive, and they're training teachers and principals and school staff with to have very progressive values. So Christians and conservatives really need to be present in that space to explain to them, um, that these are not typical uh, views that they hold, that they're not shared by the community if, if when that's the case. And that's been what's happening in Virginia and other states across the country. Parents have been making their voices heard, and it is a very welcome development.
0: Oh, that's for sure. Well, Meg, you know, one of the things that, that uh, has sort of befuddled me as I've watched uh, some of the video of these school board meetings that I mentioned just a few moments ago, and that is how did we get school board members who whose brains are not working as designed, who are just uh, accepting this junk? You know, typically you would think that members of school boards co- are coming from the community, that they uh, share the values of the parents. Do you have any sense for why so many of these school board members are just nuts?
10: Well, they aren't nuts so much as they are simply captured by the system in which they are. I think many school board uh, members ran for office with great intentions and truly want to serve their community. But when they get on the school board, they're told by organizations like the National Association of School Boards and um, the California Association of School Boards, for example, every state has some version of a school board governance organization that um, the minute you're elected to the school board, you start going to trainings in the capital of your state, or sometimes the trainings come to you or you do them online and there are service hours that you have to complete to make yourself a competent school board member. And obviously those trainings have not been written by rib rock conservatives, right? They're written by people who are in the educational industrial complex. So, you are very quickly co-opted in your service, and it takes a person of a very strong fortitude to resist that those influences. Now, the other thing that happens is that school board members are told that they should, that they're not the experts. They're the elected official, but they're not an education expert. So they need to listen to their superintendent, because the superintendent who they've hired is the expert on educational issues. And that just Um, That's not the way it works. The superintendent works for the school board, not the other way around. So we need to stop infantilizing school board members, help them take their power back, so to speak, and really become active participants in running the school systems. That's the job they've been elected to do.
0: And you have uh, you've done some writing about uh, how parents can get involved and maybe take over some of these positions on school boards. Can you talk about that a little bit?
10: Well, we've, we've had our school board boot camps. Um, they're available at uh, frcaction.org schools. And we had a school board boot camp that talked with some sitting school board members. Then we had a panel on what are the issues that you're going to face if you decide to run for school board. We had a panel on how to run for office. And then we had a panel on, um, you know, maybe you're not gonna be the one to run for school board. Maybe that's not what God's calling you to, but you can run a parents group, run a PAC. Um, you can help uh, alert your community to problems with your school board and and to the good things about your school system um, and, and be engaged in the community that way. So we have that available online. And I've recently published uh, an updated booklet a Concerned Citizen's Guide to Engaging in Public Education. That's a broad overview of the sorts of problems that um, are, or, or um, challenges, opportunities, should we say, that are facing our nation's schools right now and that parents need to be aware of. There are so many um, ways that progressive ideology is embedded in the system. And it's not necessarily a nefarious plot. It's just the water in which they swim. This is just the way they think. It's the way they've been trained to think. And it doesn't seem abnormal to them. Very radical progressive ideologies can seem very normal if you've been stepping in inch by inch, getting into deeper and deeper water. So uh, the the great thing about the book is it gives you a broad overview of the, the topic's and tells you a little bit about what to look for and gives you some strategies about how to approach people, um, how to monitor what's going on in your own children's classrooms and how to really be engaged meaningfully in the educational system.
0: And that, yeah, that is so important. And that's available at frcaction.org slash schools, frcaction.org slash schools. Well, Meg, what you've been talking about here and, and what you are advocating, I think, is certainly greater parental involvement in the public schools. But one of the things that we've seen as a result of the COVID and people schools closing, is that there are a lot more parents who are involved in home education and who have sent their kids to private schools where some of the uh, restrictions have not been as as difficult to deal with, or they've been either less or not at all. What are your thoughts about? There's kind of two different ways to go. One is you know let's get out of the public school system because we are you know I think in some people's view we're not going to be able to reform it because it's just gone so far over the waterfall. Uh, versus uh, going to, you know, the pri- in private schools and home education, that sort of thing. And my understanding is that home education has essentially doubled in the last year, year and a half, something like that. Speak to that a little bit.
10: It has, and it's been a, a wonderful development to see that happening. Um, of course, we support parents pulling their kids out of school systems that they don't feel are serving their needs. Parents are the experts on their own children, and if you parents know We parents know what's best for our kids and it is absolutely our right to homeschool our children or put them in private school. And you should absolutely do that if that's the right thing for your family. Um, My urging is that you would not then ignore the public school system in your community because when our public schools are failing, it's really a drag on the entire system and it impacts even private schools um, and homeschooling. I mean, if the public schools continue to decline, we may find ourselves in a situation where they don't want to let us out. <laughs> they don't want to let our kids out to homeschool. So it's really important to stay engaged in your community. Um, you know, we build our lives around our churches as Christians, and we have our community there. And as more and more people, uh, unfortunately, maybe walk away from their faith or were never raised in a faith, they tend to have those relationships and find that community in their local public school. And so it's really important to stay engaged with that community. Now, what parents experienced last year um, with online schooling provided by public schools wasn't homeschooling, that was school at home. And I hope that parents kind of realized that if they had been in charge of that situation and they had been setting the schedule and they had been selecting the curricula that was covered, it's really um, manageable. I'm not going to say it's not tough. It's uh, manageable to do school at home, homeschooling your kids. And some people find it wonderfully rewarding. Many people do. Um, and so it's been really a, a wonderful thing to see so many families taking the plunge and and, and pulling their kids out of the system and really um, going through that school journey with them at home it 's a wonderful opportunity to get to know your kids better and to instill your values in them
0: that 's right well one of That's one right. of our daughters did just that because of the, uh, the the problems in the school districts that where she lives, I won't name the state, but if I did, you you would understand. And uh, so, and she's found it to be a, a, a wonderful experience, and it's working out really well. And it's it is hard. Homeschooling is tough, you know. Something interesting that I saw: there's a one of the many curricula that are available for home education, as a company by the name of Abeka. It's one of the Christian homeschool curriculums or curricular uh, producers. I actually saw a commercial on Fox News for Abeka, which uh, this is probably five months ago. Never had seen anything like that so that that by itself kind of told me hey uh, you know it, it's it 's really Something getting up. popular." Yeah, it's opened right. up quite a bit. Well, let's jump back to Virginia for just a minute. I, I want you to give us a little bit of a sense of the kinds of things that were being required. You know, I alluded to it by talking about uh, transgender policy mandated by the state. What was the policy and and what are the, the two school districts that I mentioned, and there hopefully are more that are uh, opting out of that? What were the kinds of things that they were being required to do?
10: The policy um, as it was written as a suggested policy from the, school, uh, the state school board um, required uh, schools to use a student's preferred pronoun to allow them access to the bathroom of their quote unquote gender. Um, and they would keep this information from parents if the student wasn't out to their family. And this of course is um, a huge violation of parental rights. Um, And it is certainly not uh, appropriate for the school system or school counselors to practice essentially medicine in the form of psychology by affirming children in their uh, gender dysphoria and and using these quote unquote affirming practices on uh, a, a widespread scale it's just not their lane to be in. So uh, we've been really gratified to see at least 10 school districts in the state refuse to adopt the policy. The state superintendent did say that there would be no financial penalty to schools who didn't adopt the polity, po- policy, but he hinted uh, in sort of a dog whistle signal to the radical left that those, st- those uh, districts that didn't adopt the policy should expect lawsuits because of their failure to adopt the policy. So we're still kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. And fortunately, we have a lot of wonderful attorneys in Virginia who are ready to help, help these school systems if there is a legal fight that ensues. It's a shame to say that um, you can expect legal action when you follow the wishes of your constituents and the parents in your community by rejecting radical policies from the state capitol that are mandated on the schools.
0: Well, you know, there's strength in numbers, and the more districts and the more parents who push back against this, eventually they, they're going to have to give up, and, you know, whether it's, you know, that applies to all of these mandates that are coming out of various kinds as well as that kind of nuttiness. We have about a minute left. Uh, let's jump from Virginia to Minnesota because there's some pretty crazy stuff going on up there with respect to uh, sex education. you got about 30 seconds, and then we'll wrap it up, Mick.
10: Well, the parents in Minnesota uh, got wind of the three R's curriculum that's been advocated by a group called Advocates for Youth that's affiliated with Planned Parenthood. And when they peeked under the hood of that curriculum, they did not like what they saw. It is a radical comprehensive sexuality education program that uh, sexualizes children. And instead of teaching them what sex is in a proper context for sexual relations and marriage, it teaches them basically how to have sex
0: and how to do that at very young yeah. ages. So yeah. well, um, and that's, that's, and that's kind of what it's similar to what Planned Parenthood has been doing there. By the way, they're affiliated with this thing that what Planned Parenthood has been doing for years and years. All they're trying to do. And by the way, the comprehensive sex education has not been shown to do any good. It's actually been shown to cause harm. We need to push back against that. Meg, thank you so much for your time today. Great seeing you and great talking with you.